Despite the Bearcats winning six straight games, it is worth questioning what the identity is of this team. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, it is Thursday, October 27th, 2022. Welcome on in. This is Lockdown Bearcats. Thanks for making us your first listen every day, free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel. Follow us too to get an alert every time we drop a new episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, as you see on your screen, betonline.net. Whoops, I just lost the uh, live reader. Oh, that's not good. Well, all right. Anyway. This episode of Lockdown Bearcats. Oh, I hate when this happens. I accidentally clicked out of the ad screen and now I'm not able to back up for some odd reason. But anyway, it's Thursday, so that means Russ Heldman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, is here to talk about the Bearcats win at SMU. Look ahead to Saturday's showdown at UCF. All of that brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And as I mentioned, Russ Heldman with us today. Russ, the Bearcats have won six straight games, but, you know, I really, I think a lot of us are wondering what exactly the current state and identity of this team is. So I'll ask you, what do you think this team is? Because when I watch this team play, they look more like a team that's going to go eight and four, nine and three as opposed to 12-1? and one. Well, right now, I think they've hit a little bit of a skid. Glad to be back on the show. And um, to me, it's just it's the lulls of the midseason. And right now, if you're the Bearcats, you're winning games barely, just barely. You're doing just enough to win. But there's not a lot of consistency for this team outside of the defense. And then defensively, the penalties are just a massive problem. Like that game on Saturday should not have been a two-point ball game at all. I mean, there was four, three definite drops that were huge plays in that game offensively. Four, if you count the Josh Wiley play down the sideline, which ended up having him stepping out of bounds before he even had the ball contested, so it wouldn't have counted anyways. And then the fact that you just have so many missed opportunities defensively like Javon Hicks they call that PI was incredible just an incredulous call to call PI on Javon Hicks right there they're able to go down the field and finish off that drive and get stopped for the two-point conversion that would have tied up the game but it's just a lot of missed opportunities especially on offense they're a boom it was basically a boom or bust offense right now there's not a lot of consistency they're in the bottom 40 nationally in third down conversions I think they went 10 of 22 on third down in that game against SMU you and I both know this, Alex. The goal of football is to make it Canadian football. The goal should never be we want to be really efficient on third down. The goal should be never to get the third down. They're playing in way too many third downs right now. And Ben Bryant is coming off the worst game he's played as a starter here. I know Arkansas, the first half was really bad, but Bryant was not consistent at all across any quarter in this game. And right now, this offense is struggling to find any consistency outside of Charles McClellan putting his head down and getting nearly every rushing yard that is on the table for him on every single carry. 
Yeah, Ben Bryan, 18 of 35. Somehow that's over 50%. 200 yards exactly. No touchdowns, no picks. That's good. But you are right, Russ. He was very inconsistent on Saturday. He missed on several throws. Um, I counted six dropped passes, several of which were by Nick Martin, including an egregiously dropped touchdown pass uh, in the fourth quarter. I counted um, six six drop passes, four false starts, a whole football field's worth of personal foul penalties. And yet somehow this team managed to pull out a win. Um, you mentioned the um, – I, I I pointed this out on my show yesterday, on this show. Right now the Bearcats are really good defensively. They're really good at running the football, which is good, and, that, and that's good complementary football. You stop the run, you run the ball. That's going to lead to success. But right now that's all this team does. So it makes them one-dimensional. So when we look at Ben Bryant – What's your current assessment of him? And I know a lot of fans on Twitter, I'm sure you saw this. I saw it during the game. I've talked about it this week. You know, do we start to see more of Evan Prater with the way Ben Bryan's struggling and the situations that this team is being put in as a result of his inconsistencies? I've been pretty stable in my stance here saying we're not going to see much Evan Prater in terms of starting quarterback roles throughout the season. But, I mean... If he puts together three straight bad games and one of them ends up being a loss to UCF and you barely scrape by Navy again, the question needs to be asked because he made – there were 13 just completely thrown in the trash passes on Saturday afternoon that I counted. 13 trash passes, whether it's a complete blatant drop by Nick Marner, whether it's another drop on a, on a short throw by Marner, another drop here or there. All in all, I counted – you had six drops. I counted four blatant drops. And then outside of that, that's nine missed throws out of the 13 trash passes that were completely on Ben Bryant. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He just missed nine throws. Throughout the season, he's missed maybe three to four throws a game. You can't miss nine throws. If he misses nine throws against UCF, they're not winning that football game as underdogs for the first time since facing Arkansas. And if you miss nine throws against Navy, then they might keep it a lot closer than you're used to seeing. The consistency has to be better. And when Ben Bryant has time to throw and has receivers open, he's got to hit them at a more consistent rate. This completion percentage was trending up very well towards the end of the non-conference slate. Started off nicely against Tulsa, and um, it's just kind of trickled downward over the past three weeks. And, I mean, they can afford one loss in the conference and still make the New Year's Six and still make the American Athletic Conference Championship game because UCF did lose to ECU, but you can the, the margin for error did get expanded because of that loss by UCF, but it's not very wide right now. And this is the this is the worst I've felt about the Bearcats quarterback situation since Desmond Ritter got drafted with the uh Falcons third round pick. Yeah, I I'm watching the game and Justin Williams asked about this yesterday or, or Tuesday rather at Luke Fickle's press conference. He wrote about it um this week the tight ends russ i'm not seeing much from them at all i feel like josh wiley had a nice game on saturday he had a beautiful 30 yard catch down the middle of the field he iced the game on third and nine with an rpo but like you have the maybe the second best tight end tandem in the country behind georgia which is saying a lot okay the only really the only time i saw leonard taylor was that weird 10-yard run that he had coming in motion, which 
I feel like when he got that wasn't snapped, designed either. If you go back and watch no. the, watch the game, that went it literally by the grace of God Himself. It just slotted like I tweeted this out, slotted like a Tetris block right into his elbow socket, and he just basically kept running as if he was in motion, and it was designed. But so like, that was just the grace of the grace of fate helping the Bearcats right there. Okay, line. that's how you described it. I described it as an illusion. Justin Williams described it, and and, and this is the best part. Justin Williams described it as a glitch in the matrix yep so we have glitch in the matrix an illusion and yours was it was what a tetris block it was like a tetris block fitting right in there tetris block okay so that was all we saw from leonard taylor but rest the tight ends i feel like they're not even a big factor in the game plans now and what i'm seeing is an offense that resembles more of 2019 as opposed to last year. And Russ, 2019, the Bearcats had Josiah DeGuara, who was without question the best pass catcher on the team. Not even close. And I think it's interesting. You know, when Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator, Russ, who did the Bearcats target often in those games? Tight ends. Okay. Well, he's not here anymore. So Gino takes over. He's given... The best, second best tight end tandem in the country. Why aren't you using the tight ends more? Why aren't Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor being a part of the game plans? Why is Josh Wiley not getting two to three touches on the first drive of the game? I mean, I don't like. To be honest, I don't know that Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor are the answer for this team offensively. That's not the answer, to be honest. Like Josh Wiley is an NFL caliber tight end. He has NFL caliber talent. Leonard Taylor may be pro level caliber tight end, but. You're not going to win this conference targeting the tight ends. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. And they clearly don't think they can win the conference targeting the tight ends, seeing as Josh Wiley, 19 catches on the year, and Leonard Taylor even lower than that team grabs on the year for 114 yards. It's just the, this team will win games if guys like Nick Mardner catch deep post routes that Ben Brown seems to throw the best of any ball he has in his arsenal and caps, caps the game off with another 30-point performance for the offense and a dagger for SMU. That's how you're going to win games. You're going to win games by getting Tyler Scott back this week, knock on wood, hopefully having him back healthy and creating those big explosive plays down the field because I don't know that they're going to be able to get that much more consistent on third down. And what do we say is the easiest way to avoid third down? Stay out of it, convert on first and second down, and create those big, big plays that were coming at just at a rapid pace over the first six weeks of the season. I will say this. They may not be the answers to the offense for the big picture that's the rest of the season. But Russ, I'm going to share some, I'm going to share these numbers to you and to everyone listening to this. Because as I've said throughout the week, Wiley and Taylor have to be a factor in the game against UCF. In 2020 when the Bearcats went to Orlando and won that game 36 to 33. Josh Wiley, 5 catches, 81 yards and a touchdown. Leonard Taylor, six catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Two leading receivers in the game. You're on the road in a hostile environment. You're not playing well offensively. Tyler Scott may not be able to go. So what does that mean, right? You can run the ball, but UCF knows you're going to run the ball. Russ, what I'm seeing, too, from this offense, there's no creativity. There's no creative play designs. It's the same thing over and over again, and defenses – 
I think since the second half of the Indiana game have figured out how to stop this Bearcats offense. They don't have to even worry about Tyler Scott because he's not playing. They can load the box and stop the run. They know the tight ends aren't being targeted. They don't have to worry about anything, and they drop too many passes. Ben Bryant doesn't throw a good ball except the you know deep post route. I will also add the back shoulder throw to Jaden Thompson's a good play. Yeah, that was a great throw. It worked twice on Saturday against SMU. But, I mean, this offense right now, it's boring to watch at times. Like, it shouldn't be this way. First three and a half games of the season, this offense was clicking. Okay? And then ever since the second half of the Indiana game, it's been it, it it's been like watching paint dry to watch this offense. But coming up on the other side, has Charles McClellan, or excuse me, sorry, I gave it away. Uh, do the Bearcats have a definite lead running back? And are expectations starting to get to this team? Russ, I'm going to ask you that question after a word from, let me make sure I have the correct ads. Apparently they're after a word from our new product of Sweatblock, I use this product all the time because it is a true game changer. So I sweat a lot, whether I'm at work, whether I'm watching a Bearcats game, um, whether I'm sleeping, you know, what I'm working out. And a lot of people have the same problem I have. Pamela, for instance, would hide in the office bathroom every 30 minutes to dry off her armpits so no one would see the wet circles under her arms. Well, she finally has her life back, and everyone who deals with this can too with sweat block. Pamela was able to fix her problem. I was able to fix my problem. And all of you will be able to with sweat block because it gives you the confidence to wear what you want without embarrassing underarm sweat. The sweat block wipes were featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters. How about that? So if you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweater odor, try sweat block, save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com also available on Amazon. Hey, thank you for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day, hosted by Peter Bukowski, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Russ Helpman back with me here on Lockdown Bearcats, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, talking about the Bearcats' victory over SMU last Saturday, looking ahead to this Saturday's showdown at UCF, the same commentating crew, Mark Jones, RG3, and Quinn Kessenick. And Russ, I just found it um, embarrassing. And I, and I love I love Mark Jones as a play-by-play man. I've met him before. Incredibly nice guy. He sounds the same in person as he does on the air. Um, but I just, like, you know, you had RG3 mocking the Bearcats with their penalties. Mark Jones said that the Bearcats were playing like how he used to play his flag football games on New Year's Day with his old TV station. I mean, that's how mocked the Bearcats were on Saturday. 14 penalties. It was an absolute mess. And it's just something that, you know, I asked Mike Trestle, defensive coordinator, about it yesterday. And not that they don't have an answer as a staff for it, but at some point, you know, you got to push a guy out of bounds. We all love Ivan Pace. We all love what he he brings to the table and all of the intensity and just the 110 mile an hour speed that he plays the game with. But sometimes you got to back it down a little bit. You got to push the guy out of bounds instead of horse collaring him. You got to not smack the opposing receiver on the back of the head and pick up another personal foul call that you fortunately got offset because Rasheed Rice retaliated. And then you get another personal foul call on the final drive of the game. I believe it was the final drive. It was one of the last two scoring drives for SMU. 15 yards added inside the 30-yard line because at the end of a run, Ivan Pace Jr. 
after the whistle is blown, everybody's getting up. He smacks the running back in the face, I think, because he was frustrated about how he landed on him or something. Ivan Pace is the linchpin of this defense. He is the skeleton key. He is one of the highest graded defenders in the country. He is, I would say, the leading candidate to win the Bednarik Award for Defensive Player of the Year nationally, and at least the Bucks Award for Best Linebacker overall. But he's got to rein it in just a little bit, and so does the rest of this team. You mentioned the false starts. We mentioned the personal fouls. It's just so many penalties, Alex, that can get completely wiped off the board if you take a second, take a deep breath, and just try to control your emotions, try to control your ability on the field. So 14 penalties. It was disastrous. 128 yards, season highs in both categories. And now the Bearcats are firmly in the bottom three nationally in penalties per game and penalty yardage per game. This team had half of the calls go against them per game. I mean, who knows? They might be undefeated right now, and it just goes to show how much greatness there is in this football program that they are bottom three nationally in penalty yardage. They shoot themselves in the foot this much, and they're 6-1 and one with a chance to take even more control on their AAC destiny this Friday – or this Saturday, excuse me. Yeah, and I like – I – I've watched this team play, and we all know that this program prides itself on the tough and nasty Clifton style, but it's one thing to be that. It's another thing when you're just reckless, like the the shoving of the running back out of bounds in the fourth quarter and Ty Van Fossen ripping his helmet off. That that can't happen. Like, that cannot happen. I didn't even and bring I, that up. <laughs> yeah, and so that leads me to this, because last year's team was – more towards the middle of the pack in terms of penalties. They weren't heavily penalized, which was good. And that's what I think they were that. like right around 80th nationally. Yeah, 70, I think you're in right. The 70 to 80s. Yeah. ESPN showed a graphic of that during the game. But like, I, I really think, and I said this yesterday, you could compare this year's team to last year's team for, for two reasons. One is expectations. Last year's team had enormously high expectations and a razor thin margin for error. And guess what? They achieved what they wanted to achieve, which was get to the college football playoff. They'll tell you they just wanted to win the conference championship. The expectation was this team can make the college football playoff, and they did. This year, the expectation is, okay, we probably won't make the playoff, even if we beat Arkansas, which they didn't. But the New Year's Six Bowl, as you mentioned on this show, and as we've mentioned several times, is absolutely very much still attainable. But I think with the razor-thin margin for error playing in the American Athletic Conference without having the alpha dogs of Ritter, Ford, Pierce, Gardner, Bryan, etc., and maybe the reason why they're committing so many penalties is, is the weight of expectations. Is it starting to get to this team a little bit? I don't think so. I think it's literally just guys slipping off of their mental fortitude for brief moments, and then boom, it's another 15 yards and a personal foul. I don't think it has anything to do with outside expectations. I think it just has 100% to do with what these coaches are preaching to the players, and that is – Please just take a deep breath. Take a second to collect yourself, especially on these personal foul calls. The personal foul calls are inexcusable. The PI on Javon Hicks, he's trying to make a play. That's That was a completely BS call. I cannot believe they made that call in that scenario to give SMU that first down and take that play away from Javon Hicks. That's its own thing. False starts, they happen. Those are mental mistakes as well, but that's just kind of moving a little bit before the snap. That's not as bad as personal fouls. And as like, well, how, there was almost seven personal fouls on the Bearcats in this game, Alex. Like that can't happen. Maybe one, maybe two, but over five. That's just that's just asking for teams to come back. That's just asking for you 
to have a 29 to 14 lead with eight minutes left and you blow it almost because you make so many mental mistakes and mistakes that this team is good enough to avoid. Yeah, and I really think they are. But like you mentioned, you said it best. The Javon Hicks penalty, okay, it's bad, but he's trying to make a play. But personal fouls, you can control those. It, I mean, they're inexcusable. And I think Luke Fickle said this best on Tuesday. When, you know, it's a game yet, but we're weary of this. You know, he's well, trying to acknowledge. And they're one play away throughout that entire afternoon of losing. If Ryan Coe doesn't yeah. make one of those kicks, then they lose the yeah. football game. Think if they don't that. convert two fourth downs on that, or yeah, I think they converted two fourth downs on that 52-yard Coe field goal make, like you don't win the football game. The margin for error, as we've mentioned throughout this entire podcast, it shrinks dramatically. And no matter who you are at the college football level in any football game, if you're going to go out there and post 14 penalties and cost yourself 130 plus yards, 120 plus yards, it's just really difficult to come back from. You can only average roughly 450 to five. The best offenses average at 500 yards a game and the mediocre ones average 350. You get your offense cut in half right there. You're playing from such a deficit and just compare the penalties three for 30 yards for SMU 14 for 128 for the Bearcats a team yeah. that I expected to blow out the Mustangs. It looked like they were going to blow them out the entire afternoon. Yeah, and the well. inconsistency hits with the offense. Mardner drops a touchdown. They end up not scoring any points in the fourth quarter. Bing, bam, boom. You're a two-point conversion away from going to all bets are off overtime at the college football level. You, who knows what's going to yeah. happen in that scenario? And it's a scenario where they might have lost. Last- Mike Tressel talking about his red zone defense. When I asked him to grade the team defensively through seven games this year, he gave it a seven or eight. And the first thing he brought up was the red zone defense and the the need to get a little bit more consistent on that end. So, well, especially playing a UCF team that's very very good in the red zone, as Dan Horde was talking about on the Luke Fickle radio show on Tuesday night. So, all right. So you mentioned at one point it looked like a blowout. That was because one really good takeaway from this game, Charles McClellan, Russ, has been running really, really well as of late. Second straight 100-yard game, 16 carries, 128. It was, it was, was it 128 or 129? 129. Either way. 76-yard yeah. um, um, touchdown run in the second quarter to put the Bearcats up 17-0. Has he solidified the lead running back role on this team? I believe he has. I, I would st- say it's it's a pretty firm rotation of Charles McClellan in there he's probably going to get roughly 15 to 17 carries a game Corey Kiner going to get 12 to 14 and then Ryan Montgomery maybe in some short yardage situations he was pretty successful in that on Saturday against SMU uh, scored one of those um, short yardage touchdowns so I think it's going to be maybe two to three carries three to four carries for Montgomery and then Miles Montgomery he's basically just been left completely off the reservation in terms of the running back tally total through the past three or four weeks Charles McClellan is running angry. It was funny. I asked you about, uh, about his, his, his press conference. He's a man of few words, to say the least, Charles McClellan. He, uh, I don't think, necessarily loves to talk about himself or talk about like his accomplishments that much, but he's accomplishing a lot this year. 6.9 yards per carry, 631 yards this season. He has been the heart and soul of this Bearcats rushing attack and was a really, really impressive burst through the second level on that 76-yard touchdown. You get a great seal on the left side of the offensive line there. And Charles McClellan, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is a running back 
that is not going to dance. He's not going to run cute. He's going to get every single yard that's available to him on each and every carry. And he got all 76 on that one. All right, let's talk about um, two players, one who left the game uh, very early on against SMU, Jabari Taylor, one who Luke Fickle said is hopeful that he will play this week. That's Tyler Scott who missed the game at SMU. Can you give us an update on uh, Jabari Taylor and Tyler Scott as we approach Saturday's showdown in Orlando? Well, I did not see either of them doing any rehab work on the sideline throughout practice. I was actually – I had to get, I got to practice right before I was able to – interview guys and, and get in at the end there. So I didn't get to see much of practice. So I don't know necessarily how many reps they got, how much, how active they were in Tuesday's edition, but I didn't see him really doing any rehab work on the sides. So maybe that's a good sign that they'll be out there on the field. Obviously you mentioned Tyler Scott's comment or the comment about Tyler Scott from Luke Fickle saying that they're hopeful he'll be out there. And I would think with a sprained ankle like that, it's always finicky, but you get that extra week there. You've had the bye week to figure things out. Obviously, that's going to be two full weeks, almost three full weeks since he sprained the ankle. I think he should be good to go. And then Jabari Taylor, we don't even know. We didn't even get a confirmation on what the injury was, and it didn't really get addressed on Tuesday at the presser. So we'll see if he suits up. Um, how big of a game is this on Saturday for the Bearcats as far as the American standings and um, the chase to a conference championship? I think it's pretty big. But it's not everything. I mean, it's if they lose this game, the entire season comes down. You know, obviously, you got to keep winning out if they lose this game. Then the entire season comes down to Tulane. The winner of that game will, if UCF ends up winning out, travel down back to the bounce house for the American Athletic Conference Championship game. So I, I think because ECU whooped UCF last week, Holton Aller's career best performance was unbelievable 90 plus QBR three touchdowns over 330 yards no interceptions to Reese John Reese Plumley's four turnovers on the afternoon three picks and one lost fumble I just I, I see because of that loss they just get a little bit more breathing room and they get a, a little bit more time to figure things out if things go already here but you're playing with fire you want to get this win definitely and I would say it it was the most important game of the season before the ECU win. And I would say it's probably the second most important game of the season right now. Tulane looms large. That's the best defense in the conference. And you're welcoming welcoming them in on Black Friday. Should be an interesting affair in about a month's time. Okay, that's interesting to me. Because Chris Benini and and Justin Williams in The Athletic, um, all the writers came together uh, the week leading up to SMU, and they said, what's the biggest remaining matchup for each of the top 25 teams? And the Bearcats was Tulane. Tulane's was Cincinnati. I was surprised at that because I, I think, okay, Tulane is good. They're a great story. They Their defense is really good. They're, they're ranked very high in several defensive statistical categories. I don't know if there's I don't know if their success is sustainable. So to me, it's like if you beat UCF on the road, I'm gonna take my chances on a program that's won 30 straight games at home that they're gonna beat Tulane. I almost would even worry more about East Carolina because Holt Naylor's is playing some dang good football right now. And he's and he knows this Bearcats offense as well. He knows the Bearcats as well as any player in the league because he's gone up against them. I mean, God, what year is he in? His fifth year or something? Nice to see. He looks thirty. That know that? <laughs> He's almost thirty. No, I said he looks thirty. I know that. He looks thirty? Oh yeah, he does. Uh, no offense to him. I mean, jeez. Okay. 
Let me, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna tease something here. I'm gonna talk about um, how the Bearcats' culture tomorrow is not on the line. Or I'm sorry, on Saturday is not on the line, but it will be tested on Saturday. To you, Russ, what's the biggest key to the game on Saturday for the Bearcats to go to Orlando and get a win over a very good UCF team? It's Dante Corley. It's Juwan Briggs. It's the men in the middle alongside Will Huber, Ivan Pace, and Jaheim Thomas. Those five players, I think, decide the Bearcats' fate on Saturday. If they can't shut down this rushing attack, then I think UCF has a really great chance to prove why they were favored at points in the week, went back to even. It's flipping between one point for the Bearcats, one point for UCF. All in all, bottom line is it's a tight, tight matchup. And the difference, I think, will be this UCF Knights rushing attack. If they can get it going, if John Reese Plumley can bounce back from his terrible, terrible outing against East Carolina and get something done on the round like he has all season long, then it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, to get enough possessions in this game to beat UCF and the Golden Knights. John Reese Plumley, 18 yards passing this year, 11 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 69.6 QBR, and that to go along with a astounding rushing total, 101 carries. 506 yards, averaging five yards per carry. He's their leading rusher, leading carry man, leading yards per carry runner. I mean, he is their really the linchpin of their entire offense. And it starts with your keys up front. Jawan Briggs, Dante Corleone, who I uh, I think I made Mike Tressel a little mad yesterday when I broke the news to him that Dante Corleone is the, is the highest graded defender by PFF this season so far. Those guys have to play like they played all season long. Jawan Briggs has been fantastic. He had a sack on um, a couple sacks, I think, on Saturday, at least one. And then Dante Corleone got one as well. Those guys need to muck up the middle. They have to play disciplines. You can't give this team and the red zone acumen they have that many chances inside the 25-yard line with a bunch of personal foul penalties again. And you need another great game from Ivan Pace and that linebacking crew, which has stepped up to the plate and hit home runs all season long. UCF averages over offense, but the last three times the Bearcats have played him, they have really done a good job of containing that high-octane offense. Um, this is also the I be, the second straight time they have played him under Gus Malzahn. Previous two was under uh, Josh Heupel in 2019 and 2020. Like, I mean, you look at what Josh Heupel is doing in Tennessee, you can now know why, how good UCF was um, when he was there. All right. Um, so, it's a time to panic for the Bearcats as far as – them playing for a conference championship game. We'll get to that. Plus, Wes Miller spoke. We'll get Russ's thoughts on that. And, of course, I'll ask him a Bengals question. Have they finally solved the cover, too? We'll get into all of that after a word from Bet... Ooh, that's the wrong overlay. From Bet Online, your number one source for football, betting football, and the start of the new basketball season. Find all of the latest... Oops, that wasn't good. Um, find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information. Live betting, up-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. Lockdown Bearcats is your first listen every day. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Alex Frank with you each and every day. Russ Heldman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me as always every Thursday. So, Russ, Wes Miller, um, speaking of basketball season, we are now 11 days away from tip-off, November 6th, 7 p.m., 5th at Arena, the Bearcats hosting Chaminade. Um, 
So the uh, Wes Miller spoke this week about what's been going on behind the scenes as far as the preseason goes. What were your biggest takeaways from that? My favorite part of that presser on Tuesday was just him talking about Daniel Scalings. It seems like Daniel Scalings is going to be a really fun character on this Bearcats program over the next few years. He's he's seemingly acclimating himself very well. He makes a play. He's made a play both practices I've attended over the past couple of weeks in um, in team scrimmage drills. And apparently he just talks to everybody, according to Wes Miller. He just goes around to like the volleyball coach's office, the cheerleading coach's office. He like goes to all of the volleyball games, like all of just the other sports around campus and just sits around and like is one of the biggest cheerleaders for the teams and stuff. It it seems like my guy Daniel Skillings is just completely embracing being a Bearcat. And that's that's really cool to see. That's exactly what you want to see from your top ranked freshman recruit in the first overall recruiting class of West Miller. All right, final question about Bearcats football. Um, is it time to panic for this team as far as not just winning the conference championship, but even playing for one? No. Look at the standings real quick. Tulane, 4-0 right now, Cincinnati, 3-0. That's it. There are no other undefeated teams in the conference after UCF's loss to East Carolina. And as I mentioned, that gives the Bearcats even more breathing room to lose a game to UCF, win out, and you will still play in the American Athletic Conference Championship. No doubt. There's no doubt about it. If they went, lose to UCF and win out, they will play in the game, whether it's at home against the Knights, and most likely in that scenario, or on the road against the Knights. So I'm not worried at all right now so far. And until this team is trailing in the fourth quarter, in big high leverage moments, and outside of South Florida, let's all be honest here. We, nobody thought the Bearcats were going to lose that game. Then that's when you start to panic. But I still haven't seen enough to make me think the, the stone-cold nature, the steely nature of this program is going to be broken down enough to have them lose two conference games over the final five games of the season. All right. Russ is the, the voice of reason for all Bearcats fans and here on Lockdown Bearcats. All right. <laughs> So, you know what was good over the weekend, Russ? How is, um, let's see, 34-42, 481 yards, three touchdowns. Oh, by the way, he also had 20 rushing yards and a touchdown. Russ, I think it's safe to say Joe Burrow is playing some good football right now. Number nine is heating up right now. I would say there is a clear three best quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment. And then a big drop-off from Josh Allen to Patrick Mahomes to Joe Burrow. There is a chasm, and we saw that on full display Sunday. I I, I told everybody in my Bengals bets, hammer Joe Burrow over passing yards. I'll probably hand those out again. Catch those uh, wagers on allbengals.com, yes. Bengal Bets Weekly, every Friday morning. It was just too easy. I mean, he cashed the over in the yards in the first 25 minutes of the game. It was absurd. Like, he was dicing up a Falcon secondary that I wrote in my article – does absolutely nothing well. The defense is terrible. People got to talk about Grady Jarrett to find any positive thing to say about the Atlanta Falcons defense. And this was a show me what you got. Go beat the brakes off a team you're supposed to beat the brakes off of. And that's exactly what they did in the jungle on Sunday afternoon. It was the second time in Joe Burrow's career where he's thrown 450 yards, three passing touchdowns, and no interceptions. It's just unbelievable. And I'm really pretty confident it's not – not the only two times it's going to happen. I don't think he's even played his best football yet. 
No. I think I mean, he's, I, he's still, he still doesn't really know how to operate from under center. Alex, like imagine when year five, year six, Joe Burrow is able to do just as many things from under center as he is oh, from the, the shotgun, which they've gone primarily shotgun over the last few weeks. I think that's a method that they can use to win out through the bye here against the, the Browns and Carolina and continue to use it after the bye yeah. against teams like Kansas City and uh, and Pittsburgh and Tennessee and all that because the defenses just aren't capable yeah. of shutting down and containing a shotgun offense like that. But we do know that eventually defenses will catch up to something like that. They're going to have to adjust and they're going to have to figure out a way to go under center at some point. But that point is not right now. Do you think they continue? They've only won three straight games one time under Zach Taylor in the regular season. This has happened again Monday night in Cleveland. Yep. The nail gets put in the Predator and the Cleveland Browns coffin on Monday night. Deshaun Watson, the filth that he is, will not even get a chance to lead his team to a playoff run because they will fall to two and six. And Alex, only one team since 1990 has made the playoffs after falling to two and six. That would be... The Washington football team two years ago, led by yeah. Taylor Heineke after they that. won the division, the NFC least that year at seven and nine. There will not be a seven and nine oh, wildcard team, and there will not be a seven and nine AFC North champion. The Bengals put the nail on the Browns' coffin Monday night. Monday night football, Bengals and Browns. Uh, your score prediction for the Bearcats game on Saturday? I'm going to go 20. 20- 724 Bearcats. I think they narrowly get the job done. It's a little bit lower scoring than everybody's used to out of this UCF team. I think the defenses shine here and they win close again. And we're probably having the same conversations about this team, even though there will be seven and one by that point. You and I will talk next Thursday to recap the Bearcats win over UCF. And it's hard to believe that we're going to be on the final third of the season. Just final flying four, by, man. Final flying four by. games of the season. Navy, ECU, um, Temple, and Tulane. So we are charging to the finish, and that starts this Saturday at the Bounce House, 3.30 kick against UCF. I'll be back tomorrow with the game preview, why it's about culture for the Bearcats. Russ, as always, great to talk to you. Follow Russ on Twitter at RussHeldman11. Uh, he's also a producer and host at WMKV89.3. Russ, always great to talk to you. Enjoy the game on Saturday, and uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday. Yes, sir. Love our weekly chats, Alex. We'll do it again in a week. That's Russ Elman, my colleague at All Bearcast and Sports Illustrated. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and an ATI. You can follow me on Instagram, AlexFrank9 underscore, or email me at Alex3Frank at gmail.com. Lockdown Bearcats is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. How about for your second listen? Check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast. Doesn't give me access again. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Lockdown can provide. Lockdown Sports Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. For Lockdown Bearcats, I'm Alex Frank. I'll be back tomorrow. Why the Bearcats culture will be the determining factor in their, in their game on Saturday against Central Florida. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Thanks to Russ Elman for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow to preview the Bearcats at UCF. Until then, thanks for making us your first listen of every day. I'm Alex Frank for Lockdown Bearcats, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow.